Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets headed to Arthon, the record-keeping planet. When they found the prospective student they were looking for, Etho, they discovered that he had not been the one who sent the distress call. They learned that Etho can read by simply touching a book and that he had been trying to read all the books that had not yet been stolen from his planet in order to save their information. Etho's mission kept him from going with the cadets back to the academy. Doug and the cadets caught some thieves as they were trying to steal more books, but when they followed them up into space, they saw them drop one of the stolen books off for a prisoner in a floating glass cube. That prisoner turned out to be the leader of the exiles, known as the Doctor. And now for Season 2, Episode 9, The Exile. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents... Space Train. It's time to be the hero. The glass prison cell floated above the gray planet like a shining ice cube against the vast blanket of stars. Standing outside it, Doug stared through the glass in disbelief at the doctor, who sat smiling at him from his wheelchair. What's wrong, Douglas? The doctor hissed. You look unsettled. It's not possible, Doug mumbled. You're... You're... alive? The doctor sat back in his wheelchair and folded his hands. It was clear he was enjoying the cadet's stunned reaction. No, no, there's no way, Dallas said, shaking his head. This is just another shriveled old dude who happens to look way too much like the villain we soundly defeated. He shifted nervously. Right? The doctor tilted his head at him. Shriveled, old, villain, still far too focused on the superficial I see, Dallas. I could think of a few better descriptors for myself. Lydia, good to see you. Ah, Leo, I hope your traitor mother finds herself in good health. How are you alive? Lydia whispered, keeping a safe distance from the cube. The doctor inhaled deeply as if taking in a breath of fresh air, which he surely hadn't had in some time. <sighs> Let's take a stroll down memory lane, shall we? During our last battle at the academy, Dallas scooped me up while I was protected within my hover chair's bubble shield. 
Being within close range, I overheard Goro warn you all to get outside immediately. When you, he looked at Dallas, dropped me to flee, I flew my chair out of the academy. I made it out just before Goro could crash the space train into the building. It was an ingenious, albeit cowardly move on the part of my old friend. The doctor's beady eyes trailed down to the transparent floor of the cell and looked at the hovering space train below. He's down there now, isn't he? Where did you go? Lydia asked. And how did you end up in a glass box? Dallas added. It's kind of contemporary and cool looking. Too nice for a crusty bad guy if you ask me. The doctor ignored them and looked over the patchwork armor of the space train. You rebuilt it, didn't you? He didn't have to look up for Doug to know he was talking to him. Goro blew the space train to smithereens, and you somehow reconstructed it with your mind. He slowly looked up and gave Doug a searching look. Doug felt like the doctor was somehow seeing his thoughts. He swallowed. The doctor grinned. I always knew you were special, Douglas. But this... He shook his head and looked back down at the space train. He's something else entirely. He also rebuilt the academy, Lydia jumped in. It's bigger and better than ever. So I've heard... The doctor squinted at her and flashed an insincere smile. I can assure you it isn't nearly as impressive as the Academy I wanted to build for you. But oh well, your loss. I've also heard that you've garnered quite the attention this time around. Your missions and battles are exciting news throughout the galaxy. You have become a celebrity, Captain Colt. Doug clenched his fists. You didn't answer our questions. Where did you go after our battle and how did you end up here? The doctor sighed. I admit it's not much of a story. I flew off the planet protected by my hover chair's bubble shield and found safety on a neighboring planet. When I looked back at the explosion caused by the space train, I was almost certain you'd all been killed. Admittedly, the thought of your precious robot conductor putting an end to your missions was a tragically ironic, yet satisfying thought that carried me to my next hiding place. I stayed hidden in the salt caves of Bakresh for some time, just in case a call had gone out to find me. When I finally emerged, I simply activated more of my hoverbots that I'd hidden on Sprevo 7 and went on with my life. You obviously couldn't help but get yourself into more trouble, Doug said, nodding to the glass cube. The doctor shrugged. The greatest minds are often misunderstood, are they not? I abandoned all my dreams of building an academy of exiles when you all single-handedly disbanded my team. But then I realized, during my time in solitude, that you had done me a great favor. You showed me that the team I had assembled was woefully inadequate. They were selfish, small-minded, and weak. 
Yes, Leo, even your mother, Diva. Leo glared at him. It finally hit me. Why go through the trouble of starting an academy when I could simply acquire an existing one? Arthon is widely regarded as holding the largest wealth of information in the known universe. If I could get control of it, I could use it to improve so many worlds. And enrich yourself, Lydia added. And that, yes, of course. I started by trying to convince the people of Arthon to let me be their leader. I promised them great prosperity, and I meant it. Unfortunately, the elections didn't go favorably for me. Shame on me for playing fair. Turns out the Arthodians are more greedy with their information than I had anticipated. So, left with no other choice, I invaded with my hoverbots. My order was to simply take whatever records we could. It was swift. It was effective. It was merciful. A great deal of knowledge was acquired and moved off-world, but in the process, I was captured and locked up here. Doug shook his head. You know, my memory can be a little hazy, but I seem to remember you saying you weren't a thief. What do you call this? The doctor held out his hands. Necessary intervention. It isn't stealing if you are protecting something, Captain. The Arthonians were hoarding this information and doing absolutely nothing with it. Think of all the worlds that could benefit from so much knowledge. Which is more irresponsible, taking it by force or leaving it to gather dust and rot away over time? Doug didn't know how to respond. He knew the doctor wasn't a good person and that he couldn't be trusted. But every time he came face to face with him, Doug found himself questioning everything he did. He never knew what to think. He didn't want to look like a fool in front of Lydia either. The doctor continued. While my views in this room are enviable, I obviously am not much used to the cars stuck in a box. Which is why I brought you here. I need your help to get out. The cadets looked at each other, stunned. You sent the distress signal? Dallas asked. The doctor held out his hands in ta-da fashion. Surprise! How? Lydia asked. Simple. My army of truth-keepers are in constant contact with me. I no longer just have hoverbots in my charge. Noble beings from several worlds have stepped up to volunteer. I simply had them send you a distress signal as if it came from Etho. The pathetic Arthodians tried to keep me hidden and locked away on their planet, but that didn't stop my informants from slipping messages in and out. They finally resorted to putting me up here in space, hoping to make it more difficult for my informants below to contact me. But the fools forgot my resources go far beyond their planet. It's been easy to command the record retrieval from up here, but the time has come to move on, and I need your help. I knew you wouldn't come if I'd sent the distress signal myself. How do you know about Etho? Doug asked. Please, he's one of the few readers left on the planet. 
Everyone knows who Etho is. I was in close contact with him during my campaigning days, but he didn't grasp the wisdom of my cause. I discovered he was valuable to you only recently when I found him on a list I obtained from a friend of yours. Doug raised his eyebrows in surprise. The Rocket Man? His name's Maximus Hedrum, a reckless renegade obsessed with the spotlight, a show-off, a narcissistic terrorist. He wants to be a part of your story, your broadcast. We noticed, Lydia grumbled. How did you get the list of students from him? Doug asked. You aren't the only one with a Leo, you know. Once I heard about the Rocket Man's conflict with you, I had my top hackers look into his background and dig up whatever they could find. The list was a recent discovery, and it appears he is trying to follow you to your targets and ride the coattails of your attention-grabbing missions. Good attention, bad attention. To some people, it's all the same. I'm sure he's placed spies here on Arthon to notify him of your arrival, so I imagine you'll be arriving soon. That is, if he can get away from the mess he's about to make at any moment. Doug waited for him to finish. Which is? My sources tell me he is on his way to intercept a space cruiser. It's full of high-profile tourists, so I imagine he'll steal a few valuables and make sure it's a flashy ordeal to get on as much of the galactic news as possible. To him, the broadcast is key. Doug stared at the doctor for a long moment. Even if all of this were true, why would we help you? With a wide, sinister smile, the doctor turned his wheelchair and rolled it over to the far corner, which had the best view of the gray planet below. Doug and the cadets followed him along the outside deck. I know that Aether would be an exceptional addition to your academy. I would have dreamed of having him as a pupil myself. He obviously didn't agree to go with you, which is what I expected. I tried myself to coax him off-world once, with no success. So, I will tell my truth-keepers to stop their raids on the planet if Etho agrees to go with you. I stop taking records, you get Etho, I go free. Not going to happen, bro, Dallas said, folding his arms. Letting you go will cause way more problems than losing some books. They are priceless works of wisdom, the doctor sneered. I assure you I will be no thorn in your side. All I wish to do is assemble the knowledge I've acquired and help the worlds of this galaxy. And enslave them, Doug added. No, managing an enslaved workforce would be too cumbersome and too cruel for my taste. Tax them a little, yes... I will help them advance, and in exchange they give me a cut of their riches, and perhaps some well-deserved recognition. If Etho and the records aren't enough, then I'll help you stop the Rocket Man. I have the inside scoop on his plans. I can lead you to him, help you expose his weaknesses. Now Doug was interested. He exchanged a look with the other cadets before looking back at the doctor. 
you have such a great army built up, why do you need our help breaking you out of here? Why can't you just summon a legion of hoverbots to blast you out? If only it were that simple, the doctor chuckled. I've thought about it, believe me. This cube is impenetrable. Its origin is ancient. And even these guards don't have access to my room. The key is somewhere on the planet below. Even if I did break out, the neighboring worlds will know and send their law enforcement to capture me. They aren't exactly thrilled with my work here. You cadets, on the other hand, have a trusted reputation. You can talk them into setting me free. The Arthonians will have no choice but to relinquish the key. I always prefer a diplomatic approach over an iron fist. There was a long silence. Is everything all right up there, cadets? Came Goro's voice over their headsets. Did you figure out who is stealing the records? Doug and the doctor stared at each other for a long moment. Would Goro even remember who the doctor was if he mentioned him? There were things that had remained intact in his memory after his conscious crystal had been rebuilt, and there was a really good chance that the betrayal of his best friend would be one of those things. I... Doug hesitated again. He could feel his friend's eyes on him. We haven't yet, he finally said. Just questioning the guards. We'll be down in a few. I'll have the exit bay ready for you, Goro responded. The sooner you can get back, the better. Blabota and their family are causing quite the scene in the Cosmic Cafe. They've completely splattered all of the windows, so I could use Dallas's help. Just tell the chef bots to throw some chocolate at him, Dallas said into his headset. That should buy you some time. And make it dark. Milk chocolate makes him gassy. Affirmative, Goro said, and the transmission ended. There was a stunned silence as the cadets waited for Doug to continue. Brash move, the doctor hissed, but wise. Leaving Figaro out of it will make your mission infinitely easier. We both know the pushback you'd get if he knew of our plan. Our plan? We aren't on your team, Doug said firmly. If we're going to do this, it's a one-time thing and it will be on our terms. Doug? Lydia tried to interject, but Doug went on. You will stop the raids on Arthon and return all the records you've stolen. We will take Etho to the academy where he belongs. Then you will provide us with an insider tip that we can verify to make sure your info on the Rocket Man is legit. If we confirm it, we'll come back for more info. If, and that's a really big if, we eventually catch the Rocket Man using your info, we'll help you get out. But, We'll keep an eye on you to make sure you don't cause us or anyone else any trouble. Deal, the doctor said. The records will be returned as soon as they are copied, which should be within the week. Glancing around to make sure the patrolling guards weren't watching, Doug pulled out a small sticky mount camera and stuck it to the cube. We'll communicate through this when the time comes. Don't call attention to it. Doug, we can't trust him, Lydia whispered. Leo shook his head vigorously. Are you out of your mind? Dallas jumped in. You forgetting how hard it was to fight this dude? Doug turned and whispered to his team. His hoverbots and followers are no match for the Academy of Wanderers. 
If he really wanted to cause problems for us like the rocket man has, he could have easily done so by now, even from this cube. What he's saying stacks up. We have to tell Goro, Lydia insisted, folding her arms. Leo nodded emphatically. No, Doug snapped. If we tell Goro, he'd never agree to help us. We'll let him know when it becomes absolutely necessary. Keeping secrets from Goro is a terrible idea, bro, Dallas said. Leo pointed down to the space train and flexed his arms before pointing to the group. We're stronger with his help, Lydia agreed. I don't feel right about it. Doug's stomach squirmed. He hated disagreeing with Lydia, but he had to go with his gut. This is the only way. He turned to the doctor who was pretending not to listen. Tell us, where's this galactic cruiser the rocket man is about to attack? The doctor smiled. He's headed for the crystal rings of Gamut's moon Cilio. It's a common stop for luxury liners. My intel says he plans to intercept them there at any moment. Doug turned to Lydia. Can you try to see it? Frustrated, Lydia shook her head. I'll try. She closed her eyes and focused intensely on her thoughts. Doug could see the veins bulging in her neck. Her eyes moved quickly behind her eyelids. Finally, they opened. He's right, she said reluctantly. I saw the cruise ship with the crystal rings of the moon beyond it. There were explosions. Doug looked at the rest of the cadets. What more do we need? We're wasting time. Dallas pointed at him. This better not blow up in our face, bro. This face of mine is way too pretty to have stuff blowing up in it. Leo rubbed his chin as he mulled over the decision. Then, with a shrug of the shoulders and a nod, he seemed to say, what do we have to lose? Lydia was the holdout. With a scoff, she folded her arms and looked away. Doug stepped in front of her. Lydia, we have to stop the rocket man. If we get him locked away, we won't be constantly looking over our shoulder every time we go on a mission. The doctor might not be totally trustworthy, but I feel like if he were seeking revenge, he would have done so by now. Lydia finally looked at him. Fine, but I don't like keeping Goro in the dark. I'll tell him, Doug promised. It just has to be at the right time. Lydia sighed. Okay, I trust you. Doug turned back to the doctor. We need to pick up Etho. How can we assure him that you're done stealing records and will soon return them? Leave that to me. The doctor pressed a small button hidden under his wheelchair's armrest. Sir? Came a voice into the doctor's nearly invisible earpiece. Drop off a large batch of records that have already been copied in the plaza near the Library of Youth immediately, the doctor ordered. It will be done. The transmission ended. Go down to Etho and tell him that I have agreed to return the records if he will go with you. The first batch of books should be returned upon your arrival. But I suggest you move quickly. The rocket man could be making his move on the cruiser any minute. Doug turned to the cadets. Let's go. He turned his headset on. Goro. We just received a tip that we need to act on. Wait for my signal. We'll be right back. I'll explain later. Aye, aye, Captain. The cadets fired up their jetpacks and flew back down to Arthur.
Just as the doctor had promised, as soon as they reached the Library of Youth, a spiky saucer-shaped ship entered the atmosphere and lowered over the plaza. Beneath it, a door opened and thousands of books came pouring out. They piled up in the middle of the plaza. Once the last book tumbled down the top of the heap, the door closed and the ship blasted off. Marthonians slowly emerged from the surrounding buildings and examined the giant pile of records in bewilderment. Etho and his record bot were among them. What is this? He asked as the cadets approached him. How did you do this? We convinced the doctor to return all of your books so that you can come with us, Doug told him. The doctor? That's what we call him, Lydia said. The prisoner who's been ordering the book raids. Dallas stepped forward. Look, dude, we know you're all about going through these libraries, touching books and feeling all enlightened and whatnot, but we're out of time. You gotta decide now. You coming or not? Etho thought for a moment. He stared at the giant pile of returned books and then glanced over at his hovering record bot. The bot chirped and seemed to shrug at him. Are they bringing them all back? He finally asked. That's what was promised, Doug assured him. And if you want to come back and visit, we'll have the space train bring you as often as you like. Etho considered this for another moment and then said, Does your academy serve giant snails? The cadets looked at each other. Um... <laughs> Doug tried not to smile. I don't think so, but we can certainly change that. We can have a giant snail feast ready for you when you arrive. Both Etho and the Hoverbot looked at each other with excitement. Okay, we'll come. Awesome. Goro, we're ready for pickup in the plaza. On my way. The Arthonians marveled at the massive flying train as it swirled down from the sky and hovered over the plaza. Doug and the others boarded the train and blasted off into space. Doug headed straight for the cockpit. Welcome aboard, Captain, Goro said with a salute. I see you managed to talk Etho into joining us. What changed his mind? Doug hesitated. We promised him a giant snail feast when we got back to the academy. I know, didn't think it'd be that easy. Guro's screen mouth frowned. You do realize that giant snails are an incredibly rare delicacy in this galaxy. A feast of such a creature would cost a small fortune. Doug's face went blank. A rare delicacy that costs a fortune? Of course. Well... Let's let the Academy chef bots know about the request and see what they come up with. Affirmative. Notifying the chef bots and setting course for the Academy. Goro started punching commands into the control panel. Doug stopped him. Actually, set course for Gamut's moon Celio and set the engines to turbo. Goro looked at him surprised. We got a tip that the Rocket Man is about to attack a luxury space cruiser just outside the Crystal Rings. It's supposed to happen any minute. Goro folded his robot hands. Who may I ask did this tip come from? Doug tried to hide how nervous he was. Someone who apparently has insider info on the Rocket Man's next target? Goro's headgears were clearly computing something. Captain... 
I must caution you about taking tips from beings claiming to have insider information. It is dangerous to work with such individuals. I know, but the intel seemed credible, plus Lydia confirmed it with a vision. Goro stared at him as if reading Doug's nervous body language. Did this come from the prisoner? Doug nodded. Goro shook his head. Trusting someone currently confined to a glass cube is risky business, Captain. Did they tell you their name? He didn't. Doug thought this wasn't technically a lie. It was true that he didn't know the real name of the doctor. Goro gave him a skeptical look. Very well. Setting course for Celio. After a few pressed buttons, he threw the accelerator and the space train blasted off. An hour into their lightspeed journey, Goro slowed the train and brought it to a stop in front of Celio's crystal rings. Doug, Goro, Etho, and the other cadets had assembled in the cockpit and stared out the window at the beautiful moon. Tie-dye-colored clouds swirled across Celio's surface. Its rings glittered in the sunlight like diamonds. Impressive, isn't it? Goro said. No one knows how many precious gems are in Celio's rings. They believe that a giant asteroid carrying the valuable rubies, diamonds, and sapphires collided with Celio millions of years ago, and its remains were reined in by the gravitational pull. It's one of the most treasured wonders in the galaxy. Mesmerized, Dallas slowly backpedaled out of the cockpit with Blaberta munching chocolate on his shoulder. I'm gonna just go put my spacesuit on and fly around for a better look, okay? Sorry, Dallas, Goro said. But the ring's gems are closely guarded by the colony on Celio. They are sacred to them. Dallas deflated and sat back down. Oh, man. Goro looked at Lydia, who was staring out the window in amazement. If you think this is impressive, he said, you should see the crystal rings from Celio's surface. At night, they glow like a twinkling rainbow across the sky. I've never seen anything quite like it. Dudes, I'm not seeing any fancy-schmancy space cruisers out there, Dallas said, looking around for any sign of a ship. Blaberta was arguing amongst themselves now that they were down to only one bite of their chocolate bar. Will you two stop yapping by my ear? I'll get you more chocolate, jeesh. I swear I saw it, Lydia said, shaking her head. It was right out there. Doug felt his stomach drop. Had she seen something else? Was the doctor lying to them? Just when he was ready to give up, Leo clapped and pointed at the corner of the window. There, emerging from a swirling hole of light, was a massive space cruiser. It was long and sleek and looked to be made of polished silver. The front and back were both shaped like saucers and had panoramic observation decks. It was close enough for Doug to see a giant bubble enclosure over the ship's midsection roof, where people were sitting, walking, and looking out over the railing. Leo typed something into the control panel, making the cockpit windows zoom in on the space cruiser. They could see the diverse group of alien guests, dressed in upscale clothes, laughing over drinks and enjoying their getaway. There's so many of them, Doug said. And they're so rich, Dallas added. 
He squinted at the image. Is that a low-gravity pool on the deck? Why don't we have one of those, Gore? He noticed Lydia next to him. Her eyes were closed and she was focusing hard. Oh boy. Is she okay? Etho asked. She's fine, Doug said. Lydia? Lydia opened her eyes and gasped. We need to suit up. She looked at them. Now! Crack! Boom! A streak of light split through the stars, revealing the rocket man's fish ship. It flew alongside the cruiser. Boom, boom, boom! Fish-shaped cannonballs blasted from its side and tore into the cruiser. Leo slammed the evac belt, and they all jumped on the moving walkway. Come on, Doug said, grabbing Etho and pulling him onto it. Zoom! The belt zipped them through the train, through dozens of cars, until they reached the exit bay. Each of the cadets grabbed a suit box and pressed it against their chests, enveloping themselves in spacesuits. Doug handed one to Etho. I, I, I don't know. Just press it against your chest. Etho's trembling hands did as he said, and thump, a spacesuit popped out and wrapped itself around the confused boy. Goro, Doug said into the headset. Bring us in close. Way ahead of you, Captain. Lowering over the rear deck now. Doug could hear the distant explosions outside and felt the vibrations under his feet as the train came to a low hover. When the door slid open, chaos and noise filled their view. Explosions plumed across the sides and deck of the cruiser. Fist spots swirled around the panicked tourists that were running for their lives. Lydia, Etho, get as many people onto the space train as you can, Doug ordered. Me, Dallas, and Leo will try to stop the rocket man. No, Etho said. I'm coming with you. What? You sure? Etho nodded. Okay, you, me, and Leo will go after the rocket man. Dallas, you stay with Lydia and help her with the evacuation. Dallas looked at Etho, surprised. Your funeral, bro. Oof. The cadets blasted off in their jetpacks. Dallas and Lydia landed on the deck and started evacuating guests. Doug, Leo, and Etho flew towards the giant fish ship. Leo blasted a couple of fist spots as they tried to fly by. Etho struggled to control its jetpack. He swerved from side to side. I've never done this before, he shouted. Don't worry, Doug said. Just stay close. I'll make sure you don't drift off. They were almost to the rocket man's ship, but they noticed a clear pod zip past them. Someone was laughing inside. <laughs> that was him, Doug shouted, stopping and looking back. The rocket man's heading for the cruiser. They turned around and flew after him. As soon as the clear pod reached the front observation deck of the cruiser, the rocket man ejected and punched through the glass with his metal gloves. The guests tripped over themselves as they fled. Where's everyone going? The rocket man shouted through his head bubble. The party's just getting started. His buff arms swayed and his chest plate gleamed as he strutted into the room. Doug, Leo, and Etho landed in the room behind him. Don't move, Doug called out. He and Leo set their blasters to stun. <laughs> you got here sooner than I expected, the rocket man laughed. I had a feeling you'd show up. Hope you brought the cameras. This episode's gonna blow everyone's minds. 
Doug fired stun blasts, but the rocket man easily deflected them with his huge metal gloves. Doug lowered his blaster. Why are you doing this? The rocket man ran a gloved hand across his purple buzzed hair. Why do you do crazy things, huh? Doug shook his head. I don't do... He stopped himself. The rocket man was right. He did do crazy things. All the time. The rocket man smiled through his perfect jawline and pointed at him. The glory, baby. The glory. He looked around as if trying to find which camera to look at. It's all coming together. Be you, the excitement, the rocket. The rocket? Doug shot Leo a confused look. Leo shook his head at him. The rocket man smiled. The rocket. He punched his metal gloves together, making them charge. Wait a sec. You're a captain. Aren't you supposed to go down with the ship? Grinning, he pressed a button on one of his gloves, and rock music blared in the room. After taking a moment to relish the tune, he turned and started running down the hall. Glory, baby, glory! Stop! Doug yelled. He, Leo, and Etho charged after him. The rocket man punched, dove, and hammered through the walls of the ship, bringing entire rooms crumbling down around him. The opulent decorations shattered around them. Grand aquarium staircase, diamond sculptures, engine rooms, theaters, an entire restaurant carved out of white marble. All of it smashed to pieces with a punch or a chop of his molten hot gloves. The rocket man laughed as he plowed through the ship like a human tornado of destruction. Doug, Leo, and Etho chased after him, firing stun blasts and barely dodging the collapsing rooms. They ran and with sudden bursts from their jetpacks, jumped from side to side, narrowly missing falling chunks of walls, ceiling, and broken wires. Dallas, Lydia, Doug shouted into his headset. Are you getting everyone evacuated? The chaotic battle outside blared through his earpiece as Dallas answered. We're uh, almost uh, done. I'm fighting off the fist bots. Uh, while Lydia gets everyone on the train. Lydia, how many are left? Just a handful, Lydia answered. Good, because these fist bots uh, are never ending. Where are you guys, Doug? Did you find the rocket man? Right on cue, the rocket man smashed his way out onto the back roof deck of the cruiser. The obnoxious rock music followed him. Huge Dallas jumped back. Oh, sweet entrance, bro. But I'm afraid your little musical number stops here. He lunged for the rocket man, but before he could reach him, the rocket man jumped up and grabbed a flying fist spot that zipped him off towards his ship. <laughs> See you in the next broadcast, cadets. As he flew off towards the fist ship, he pressed a button on one of his gloves, making all of the fist bots retreat with him. When they were all back in their fist ship, it stretched its huge mechanical fingers and then quickly closed back into a fist, boosting the engines and sending the craft streaking off into space. Back by Celio's rings, the space cruiser groaned and tipped down toward the moon. Cadets! Goro called into their headsets. The cruiser's been pulled in by Cilio's gravitational pull. It's in freefall. Is everyone off the ship? Lydia said, ushering the last tourists onto the space train. I didn't see anyone else when we were flying through, Doug said. 
Goro, does that mean that the ship will... Yes, Captain. The ship is on course to collide into the Celio colony. Doug thought and thought. He looked down at the enormous sputtering engines jutting out the back of the cruiser. He closed his eyes and held out his hands. He pictured the damaged pieces repairing themselves. In his mind, he saw panels, screws, vents, and pipes piecing back together. He opened his eyes and looked out past his trembling, outstretched hands. The engines were repairing themselves. As soon as the last piece was in place, they sputtered some more, and then... Fire blasted out the jets, and the cruiser rocketed down towards the moon. Um, Capitan, Dallas said. That was a cool trick and all, but I'm pretty sure you just made things a lot worse. Thank you, Dallas, Doug shot back. What do we do? Lydia shouted. Leo and Etho looked around in a panic. Doug thought and thought and thought. Leo, Etho, follow me. He jumped and flipped on his jetpack, blasting off back down the outside of the falling cruiser. Leo and Etho followed. Doug! Lydia called after them. Doug, Leo, and Etho flew past the damaged sides of the enormous cruiser until they reached the front observation deck. They landed in the hole the rocket man had created and ran for the cockpit. When they got there, they found a huge mess of controls. Doug looked to Leo. Can you fly this thing? Leo scanned over the endless controls that were covered in an alien script he'd never seen before. There had to be at least 50 levers on the panel. He shook his head and shrugged. Great, Doug breathed. We're going to have to start mashing buttons. The cruiser was falling through the crystal rings with incredible speed. Sparkling jewels, rubies, and diamonds clinked and clunked against the ship. The swirling tie-dye clouds on the moon's surface were getting bigger and bigger. Etho started opening all the cabinets under the control panel and rummaging through them. Doug scrunched his face. What are you doing? I'm looking for this. Etho pulled out an enormous instruction manual. Etho, we don't have time to... Doug stopped himself. He'd almost forgotten. He smiled as he watched Etho rest his hand over the huge book's cover. After a few seconds, Etho opened his eyes and said, It is red. He pointed to the controls. Pull that one back. Push that one forward a little. Those two need to go back. And then gently press on this foot pedal. Leo did as he said, following the instructions exactly until the ship started to slow and pull up. They were through the clouds now, and the colony was coming into view. Buildings and people were taking form below. Crowds had gathered to watch. The cruiser was close enough to cast a wide shadow over the buildings. Easy, easy, Etho coached, showing Leo which levers to ease up on. The cruiser shook violently as it gradually leveled off. The ship turned up just in time to barely skim the tops of the buildings. Everyone in the city gasped. They turned and watched the enormous cruiser glide down beyond the city and land roughly on the soft pink prairie. The entire city erupted into applause. They cheered and hugged one another. Back in the cruiser's cockpit, Doug, Leo, and Etho caught their breath. Etho collapsed into a chair. Is this how all your missions go? 
Doug and Leo looked at each other, and then back at Etho. Yeah, Doug said. Leo nodded. Captain? Came Goro's voice in their headsets. We are heading your way to pick you up. You guys did it! Came Lydia's voice. Show-offs, Dallas added. They could hear Blaberta chirping in the background. Blaberta thinks you guys are show-offs, too. Blaberta chirped angrily. That is not what they said, Goro argued. Whatever, their eyes say it all. Captain? Goro continued. You aren't going to believe this, but we have been scanning our rescue guests and have found something quite interesting. What is it? Doug's stomach squirmed as he braced for bad news. More than a dozen of the prospective students from our list were on that cruiser. They are now safely aboard the space train. Well done. Doug collapsed into a chair. His hands were still shaky from mind-building the engines. Next time, let's just put out some flyers, he joked. If we could put a giant one on the side of the train, Lydia laughed. Blaberta chirped some more. Blaberta says that's a terrible idea, Dallas interpreted. That is not what they are saying, Goro corrected. Doug closed his eyes and took in the sweet sounds of his team, laughing, arguing, and chirping over the headset. It was music to his ears. He opened his eyes and looked out the cockpit window. The sun had dipped below the horizon and a brilliant night sky was taking its place. Stretching across it, like a twinkling rainbow, shimmering different colors, was the glittering arch of Celio's crystal rings. As the space train came into view, he imagined it full of all the people they had just saved, all the prospective students that would soon be taken to the academy. He shook his head. As much as he hated to admit it, they couldn't have done it without the help of the doctor. Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was long. It was beefy. I know it was beefy. I got a little carried away. But once I get going, I just can't stop it, guys. I had to keep it going and finish it off. So I'm really excited about where this is going. I love the cadets. The Etho thing with it is red and touching books. I mean, that would be a pretty cool superpower. I'm not going to lie. 
Anyway, super fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I want to thank my mom for having the patience to look over that story and help me edit it. Thank you, mom, Roxanne Webb. Also want to thank Jeremy from HarmoniousIdeas.com for helping me edit the audio. And thank you, Rocketeers, for supporting the show on Patreon and for hearing out our sponsor ads. Those are great ways to support the podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for the feedback. I want to give a shout out to a very special patron, James and his mom, Allison, from Dallas, Texas. James, thank you so much, buddy, for supporting the show. I hear you binged all the episodes of Camp Dino when you got sick recently. I hope you're feeling well, buddy. And I hope Camp Dino helped you endure that sickness that is not fun. I know how that feels, but I'm glad the Purple Rocket was able to help get you through it. Uh, and I hear that your favorite character is Grandpa from Grandpa's Globe. Dude, Grandpa's my favorite. I'm not going to lie, Rocketeers. Out of all the characters on the Purple Rocket, Grandpa Boone is, he's the man. I love him. I love Grandpa Boone. Well, I love you too, Greg. But don't let that go to your head. Okay, Gramps, I won't. Thank you so much, James. You to bomb. Yeah, I just said you to bomb. I'm bringing it back, you guys. I'm bringing it back. I also want to read a couple of Apple reviews. This one is from Corbin. It says, the Purple Rocket is the best podcast ever. I listen with my sister and my mom in the car. My sister and mom's favorite season is Winglings Under the Willow Tree, and my favorite is Space Train. I'm nine and my sister is six. And Greg, my first time eating wasabi, I also thought it was avocado. Yes, Corbin, we need to start a club. You know, the wasabi avocado confused kid club. I just, I can't, you know, for those who are confused, I guess I must have mentioned that at the end of a story on one of the podcasts. The first time I had wasabi when I was eating sushi, I thought it was guacamole. I thought it was just, I thought it was like some, you know, some fancy guacamole sauce. I'd never had sushi. I was like, what the heck is this guacamole doing here? And I like rolled it up with this slimy tortilla that I soon found out was this raw ginger. And I just popped that sucker in my mouth and I was like, and everybody in this like sushi restaurant slowly looked at me like, who does this dude that just threw wasabi and ginger into his mouth? Anyway, Corbin, I feel you, brother. I feel you. This next review is from Marty Party of Five. It says, incredible. Me and my kids love your podcast. You have helped many trips in the car. Be quiet and sane for me. Our top favorites are Camp Dino and Grandpa's Globe, but they are all good. Thank you for making quality, wholesome, educational entertainment. We love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys, for this feedback. It's amazing. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the emails, for the art you're sharing on uh, Instagram that we're putting on the Rocketeer uh, gallery. I don't know. My wife's kind of helping me with that. And uh, thank you for leaving these five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, which you can now do on Spotify. Thank you all. And as always, be sure to check back next time for an all-new episode. Tell your friends and family about the show. Spread the word. Till next time. This is your host, Greg Webb.